You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Sarah McHugh, Lighthouse volunteer and friend of the Instagram star Coda the Lighthouse Dog. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Jeremy. And actually, Coda's right here with me, and he says hello as well. Oh, okay. We'll have to give Coda a speaking part next time. <laughs> That'd be great. Does he speak on command? Um, no, we could have somebody show up to the door and knock, though, and we'd probably get a good rise out of him. Ah, okay. We'll have to work on that for next time. Today is October 31st, 2021, and this is episode 145 of Lighthearted. Happy Halloween, Sarah. Happy Halloween. Have you got any plans? Maybe some trick-or-treating? Um, no, I actually work part-time at a brewery, um, so I'll be there. It's a, it's a costume mm. night, so I think everybody will be dressed up for work and also those attending, so it should be fun. Wow. I understand you had an interesting lighthouse adventure recently. Yes, a couple weekends ago, me and my dog, Coda, went to the Lighthouse Challenge of New Jersey. Um, it was an awesome event, and we went from the top of New Jersey all the way down to the bottom. So we started up at Sandy Hook Light, hit a couple lighthouses down on the way, and ended up down in Cape May. We had beautiful weather. We were able to climb a bunch of lighthouses, some of the tallest in New Jersey. So it was really an awesome weekend full of education, history, climbing, um, and just being out there on the water it was really beautiful. And it took two days to see all of New Jersey's lighthouses, is that right? Yep, it's two days. So the challenge is to go to all the lighthouses and there's a couple light saving stations as well that you can hit mm-hmm. on your way. Um, and there's a couple night climbs as well, which is pretty cool. We have a very special Halloween episode of the podcast today. We'll hear a conversation I had with my friend Ron Kolek, paranormal researcher and author. We discuss several paranormal investigations we've done together at lighthouses. You know, I think uh, lighthouses are generally a very positive symbol, obviously, but they also seem to have what I like to call a dark side. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but lighthouses seem to have so many ghost stories attached to them. Yeah, a couple weekends ago when I was at the Lighthouse Challenge of New Jersey, they talked a lot about different lighthouses that had spirits in them or paranormal activity. Seems like if you get deeply into the history of any lighthouse, you're going to find some uh, ghost stories or something macabre, at least, uh, in there somewhere. So I've been interested in the paranormal since I was a kid. How about you, Sarah? Is the paranormal an interest for you? It's definitely very interesting to me. It scares me a little, but I think I like that about it. Um, and especially this time of year, spooky season is a good time to look into it, and I really enjoy it. So let's introduce today's guest, Ron Kolick. Ron Kolick is the founder and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project. His exploits have been documented in many newspaper, television, radio, and magazine articles. Ron is the host of the popular Ghost Chronicles radio series. He's a well-known lecturer and he's taught paranormal CSI at Northern Essex Community College. Ron has also co-authored three books on the paranormal with Maureen Wood and has contributed to many others. After doing paranormal investigations at lighthouses, Ron became involved in lighthouse preservation. He has served as chair of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, and he's currently on the organization's leadership committee. So let's listen to my conversation with paranormal researcher Ron Kolick now. I'm speaking today with my friend Ron Kolick, 
who is a leading paranormal researcher, radio personality, author, and lighthouse preservationist. Thanks so much for being with me today, Ron. Oh, thank you, uh, Jeremy. You give me too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't it's know. It's true. I'm all those things, but <laughs> you are. You, it, it, just, those... it, just seems, it just seems important, and I don't consider myself that. <laughs> well, you're those things and, and many more. Uh, you and I go back about 15 or 16 years to your first investigation of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, and we'll talk about that shortly. But if I, I could just start maybe uh, talking a little bit about your background. I know um, because we've done so many events and things together, I kind of know, uh, you know some things about your background. But for our listeners who might not know that, how did you first uh, get involved in studying the paranormal? Oh, that's such a long story. <laughs> but anyways, uh, you know, I, I have a degree in environmental science. I work on a space program. Uh, I'm pretty much a grounded person. One time uh, I cut my fingers off. They put it back together, of course. But, uh, but while I was in the hospital, I had what I thought was a near-death experience. And when I got out of the hospital, I, I, I had a pulmonary embolism. That's, I should say that uh, while I was in the hospital. And when I came out, uh, they had me on blood thinners and everything else. And my hand was in the cast. So I was looking for something to do. And, and Media One was often, of course, in TV production. So I says, you know, that looks like... Uh, fun. And so uh, I took the course. It was pretty uh, detailed, but you had to complete the course. You needed to do a show. So uh, I didn't know what to do it on. Then I said, well, you know what? I had this near-death experience. I don't know if it was the drugs they were giving me or what, but uh, and also my manufacturing company was supposed to be haunted, even though I didn't say anything. So I said, you know what? I'll do it on ghosts. That's it's always an intriguing subject. And then I went out and did my first uh, investigation slash TV show. And uh, a lot of things I just couldn't explain. So I was curious about it and I wanted to learn more and I just kept pushing ahead. And uh, the more I did it, the more I wanted to learn. And then I eventually ended up doing it full time. So mm -hmm. that's basically it. Yeah. And you just said uh, before we started uh, recording here, you mentioned that you've been doing it for 20 years now, right? Is that about right? Yeah. Uh, yep. Radio for 20 years. That's Mm -hmm. and investigation just a little bit before that. Okay. Yeah. So before we talk about the specific uh, investigations, especially the lighthouses, uh, could you explain a little bit about how a typical investigation works? Like what kind of equipment do you use and how many people are normally uh, involved in these investigations? Well, that's an interesting question since there's no such thing as a typical investigation. Right. I, yeah, I was thinking that as I said it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, every investigation is different, whether you're doing uh, a lighthouse or a factory building or uh, a regular house. I mean, it depends on the location and the, the amount of information you, uh, you have. Uh, so, for instance, if you have a, a large building, you would bring more uh, you know, investigators with you. If you were doing a small place, of course, you would bring fewer. And, uh, you know, it goes pretty much from there. And also, it, you know, for instance, if, if there are reports of just audio, you know, phenomena in a location, in other words, they hear things rather than see things and everything else, then, you know, you would concentrate more on on that phase of the investigating, uh, you know, rather than in video or any other, anything else and vice versa if it's strictly video you would switch around now that that's changed since the beginning because in the beginning i would carry like tons of equipment and you really didn't need a lot of it uh, and nowadays of course they keep coming up with new gadgets to investigate but i mean the yeah, basic uh, tools are a recorder an audio recorder some type of video recorder 
you know, and uh, something to measure temperature. Those are your, your basic. And EMF, uh, if if you uh, like, I, I believe you should. But uh, you know, that's that's open to interpretation. But um, those are, those are your basic ones. Then from there, you can go. You know, they they have tons of gadgets and different experimental stuff in the market today that you can get. Yeah. Yeah. And in addition to all the equipment, of course, you've, you've worked a lot with two mediums. You've worked with others too, but mainly uh, Maureen Wood and Leslie Martin, right? Right. Uh, yeah. And so what do you, what do they bring to an investigation? As I mentioned uh, earlier, I wasn't like really big into the paranormal and a lot of things I didn't believe in, for instance, like housing and mediums. I thought mediums were all, charlatans like the you know uh, they would just tell you your fortune take your money but uh i met maureen and i just she asked to go on an investigation i said you know what my equipment can only tell me so much if a medium can tell me something that my equipment can't why not you know take a look at it so uh, i went out with maureen and i soon realized a lot of the information she was giving me uh, was true. We, we were able to validate it. So, I mean, some of it isn't, you know, that's the thing, uh, you know, unfortunately, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist or it doesn't mean it does exist. So uh, that's how I started working with mediums. And uh, I worked with Maureen for many years. We wrote three books together and uh, did tons of investigations. And then uh, life got caught up with Maureen and uh, she had to step back and uh, Leslie Martin joined me uh, in her place. And uh, I've worked with her for the past, uh, probably as many years as Maureen now, believe it or not. Yeah. Well, I've uh, been involved in investigations with both of them and they, they both yep. have their own styles, but it's always interesting. You know, I always, I tell people a lot that, uh, you know, you believe what you want to believe. I don't, I never try to convince anybody of anything, but uh, having been, you know, in the middle of some of this stuff, uh, Maureen, both of them have come up with just amazing stuff that, um, you know, and like you said, a lot of times you're, you're not sure, can't be proven to be true or not. But so many things they come up with, you know, are definitely accurate or, or seem to, to point to, to being accurate without they never do any research ahead of time either, which is right. uh, amazing. Well, you bring up a key point, uh, Jeremy, you said that. Uh whether you believe it or not. And when I first started doing this, uh, my, my goal was to either prove or disprove the paranormal. But then I soon realized that no matter what evidence you collected uh, to a, a person who doesn't want to believe it, they're not going to believe in it. So si since early days, I started just collecting evidence and, and uh, presenting it and let people make up their own mind. And, and that's the route I've, I've gone. So let's talk about the, the lighthouse investigations and we'll start with the, the first one that I uh, was involved in and, you know, witnessed firsthand uh, August, 2005, you and new England ghost project did an investigation at Portsmouth Harbor lighthouse, which is like 15 minutes from my home here on seacoast, New Hampshire. So uh, and a number of interesting things happened that night, but what, what stands out for you about that particular night? You know, just being, there at the lighthouse at night uh really moved me in fact that's how i got involved in uh lighthouses was thanks to you and and calling us in to do that in first investigation so to me that was the most important thing i uh got out of that first night uh however to, as regards to the investigation uh there were a lot of interesting things i uh i think the 
the incident with the uh, the flowers and Roxy uh, Zwicker, who was a, a member of your board at that time, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, came. I don't know if you want to talk about that or not. Sure, we can talk about that. There were other interesting things too, and and um, I want to talk a little bit about EVPs. I got a couple I thought I could could cool. play as yeah, part of this. But let's uh, let's talk about what you just brought up first. It was uh, Roxy Zwicker. Some people listening, if they're into paranormal at all, uh, might know about Roxy. She gives tours, ghost tours here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. She's written uh, several books on the paranormal, including Haunted Portsmouth, right? And uh, you and she have worked together quite a bit. So she, yeah, as you said, she was a, a volunteer for our Lighthouse organization here at that time. And she was the one who originally contacted you, I believe, to, to come and do the investigation. So, and towards the end of the night, Maureen Wood, your trance medium, uh, was on the second floor of the keeper's house. And she said, though, there's a strong presence here. And she started to speak as if uh, she was somebody else, like in an old woman's voice. And I'm going to pause there because we haven't given the background yet. Uh, there was a woman that I knew really well, um, Connie Small, who was the wife of the last lighthouse keeper at uh, Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse. Her husband was Elson Small. She, co uh, she wrote a book called The Lighthouse Keeper's Wife when she was 85 years old, and she had passed away at the age of 103 just a few months before he did the investigation. So that night, uh, Maureen started speaking in a halting old woman's voice, and she said, uh, I want to thank someone. And you were standing right next to her and you said, asked if it was you. She said, no. It never is. <laughs> right. And you asked if it was me. And she said, yes. And uh, I, I don't remember her saying a whole lot more. She, she said, I, I want to thank you for the gifts. I think she said that a couple of times. And she's right. Yeah, but the important thing then, uh, Jeremy, was yeah. that you had never experienced anything like, uh, you know, trans channeling that, that Maureen does, which is the spirit actually comes in her body. And yeah. to you, it was, and you're a skeptic too. And so to you, it was, how, how did you feel when you first witnessed this? Well, I heard this, her talking in this voice, and my immediate thought was, it sounds like Connie, you know, Connie Small, who, had, like I said, had just died a few months earlier. And then the rational, you know, what seemed to be the rational part of me said, well, that's ridiculous. You know, it's not Connie. It's Maureen talking in an old woman's voice, but it's not Connie. But a part of me kept saying, you know, it's as if Connie is speaking to me. So, you know, yeah, I think by nature I'm skeptical, but I've also always been interested in this stuff. I know I'm not the only person who says this, but I say I'm an open-minded skeptic where I think it's good to be skeptical. I also think it's good to not rule anything out, to be open-minded. So anyway, so um, she didn't say a lot, but, and then she just fell on the floor after maybe a minute or two of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, from a lot of experience that she often does that. What, why do you think she just is kind of, uh, it's almost like she passes out uh, sometimes. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, it's not like she swoons. She just drops like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And uh, it, it's my own theory, of course, is, is that I believe that uh, when she does a transplant channel and of course the spirit enters her body. So she steps back and when the spirit leaves, it's like nobody's home for a, you know, a few, I wouldn't say a few seconds, but just some micro shot period of time where no one's in control of her body so she just right. drops and uh th that's my own theory is you know, i have nothing to prove that you know to back that up or anything but that's my own theory what i believe in on it yeah well it sure seems that way and i've seen it a few times 
So, uh, you know, she was okay. And you guys, uh, you and the others helped her downstairs. I stayed upstairs a little bit longer. Yeah. Did you take an interesting photograph where she was sitting? I, as a matter of fact, I did. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that was before Roxy came back and I'll get to that in a minute, but, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I took a picture of the chair, right? Like we're right near where Maureen was. Oh, you're right. Where she was sitting after she Mm -hmm. had fallen on the floor. Yeah. Cause we got and, a chair and put it, you know, right. You helped chair, her to a but, chair. So I yeah. took a picture of that chair shortly afterwards. And to me, it looks like there's a face, uh, sort of like a, a lighter area that to me looks like a face under the mm-hmm. chair. I've shown it to a lot of people. Some people immediately say that's a face. Other people can't see anything at all. So it's right. not like real distinct or anything, but to mm-hmm. me, it looks like a face with large, almost like black holes for eyes. That's the way it looks for me. You still have that? I do. I do. Oh, cool. uh, anyway, so a few minutes later, Roxy Zwicker, who we were just talking about, who's uh, also a paranormal storyteller and researcher, she came back upstairs and she said she was kind of shaken up. And she said to me, you won't believe what Maureen just said. Uh, she said that Maureen said to Roxy, Connie wants to thank you for the big pink flowers. Uh, now, uh, Roxy and her husband, Ken, and I were at Connie Small's funeral a few months earlier. And uh, there was an open casket in the front of this small church. I had left the church. Uh, Roxy and Ken were the last ones to pass by the casket. And Roxy was holding uh, a bouquet of uh, pink tulips. So the minister said, uh, if you want to put those flowers in the casket, go ahead and do that. So Roxy put the flowers in the casket. And then about six months later, Maureen Wood, who had never met you or me or heard of Connie Small, met Roxy or any of us, out of the blue said, uh, Connie wants to thank you for the big pink flowers. So that was really interesting. It, it I definitely uh, went through some changes that night. I was definitely less skeptical, uh, more open-minded, let's say, uh, after that night, for sure. And one thing we, we earlier we didn't mention, too, is that uh, when uh, Maureen was trans-channeling uh, Connie, uh, and she asked, uh, she said, do you, do you want to thank you? And uh, mm-hmm. yes, you... You were trying to think of me, uh, why? And you, you said you had given her an, an honorary membership or something like that. And you had brought her things before. Yeah. 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 We, we named her our honorary chairperson. Yeah. Uh, we called her our guiding light. She was a yeah. pretty amazing person. And I, I did give her other a couple other presents also. So yeah. when it made sense that she was saying thank you for the gift. Um, yeah. That was very interesting night. So um, I'm like, like I said, I'd like to talk a little bit about the EVPs. There were a couple recorded that night, and then there are some others later at Portsmouth Harbor. I yeah. don't want to talk about too, but that night, sure. uh, Karen Mossy was part of your group that night, and yeah. she's considered an EVP expert. Can you explain for people who don't know what EVPs are, the basics of that? Sure. Uh, EVP stands for electronic voice phenomena. And uh, what it is, is the the other belief is that the spirit uh, takes the white noise on a recorder and manifests their voice on it. And you can't hear this while it's being recorded, only on playback. So you can ask questions and you pause and then you don't hear anything. But when you play it back, there is a voice on there and uh, you get an answer sometimes to the, the questions you ask. There are classes of uh, EVPs, class A, B, and C. Class A is very clear. Everybody hears the same thing. Class B is, is pretty clear, but open to a little bit of interpretation. And class C is totally open to a interpretation. Yeah. And a little more background here before I play the first one. 
there's a there was a longtime keeper at Portsmouth Harbor Line. Joshua Card was there for 35 years until uh, 1909 when he was 86 years old, oldest lighthouse keeper in the country at the time. Uh, and uh, he had a stroke. He had to retire. Died a couple of years later. Several of us have heard a voice in the lighthouse, like an audible, not just an EVP, but an audible voice. And uh, my wife Charlotte has heard it. A couple of other volunteers have heard things and people have heard steps on the stairs and stuff like that. The time I heard it was in the watch room of the lighthouse, which is just below the lantern room at the top of the stairs. I'm given a tour for two people. This was maybe 2007 or something like that. It was quite a while ago now. And, uh, and it was the middle of the afternoon. And as I'm talking to them, I hear a voice say, hello, like that. And uh, the guy of uh, this couple, the guy heard it, his wife didn't hear anything. We checked all around. There was nobody around. So like I said, there's uh, other people have heard things too. And uh, the, another thing about Joshua Card is that he, uh, he liked to be called captain. His old lighthouse service uniform had the letter K on the lapels. It stood for keeper. But if people asked, he would tell them it stood for captain. So, uh, you know, I think he knew how to spell, but I think he, he, you know, he liked the title of captain. So people knew him as Captain Card. So I needed to tell that story before we play the, the first EVP here, which was recorded by Karen Mossy that night. Uh, I think it was pretty late at night up the top of the stairs there in the lighthouse. And uh, she says, who's there? And she seems to get an answer. So let me, let me play that right now. So any reaction to, to that one, Ron? What do you what do you think about that? Oh, no, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I wasn't aware of that story uh, at the time we were doing that investigation. And uh, so to me, that's another interesting piece of uh, information that we were able to obtain that night. Yeah. Just uh, in case people couldn't really make it out, it, it seems like when she says who's there, it seems like the voice says the captain. It's maybe not a class A EVP, but it's, it's pretty good, I think. Yeah, it's uh, pretty clear. Yeah, to me, it sounds like that. And uh, I'll play uh, a couple more. Uh, we have done other investigations over the years at Portsmouth Harbor Light. We've also, God, we've we also done we. a lot of <laughs> nighttime tours, and we've recorded a lot of sounds over the years. There was a night a few years after that first one where uh, you and uh, Jim Stonier of New England Ghost Project, where I think we're actually out on the balcony or catwalk or gallery, uh, whatever you want to call it, outside the lantern of the lighthouse, like something like 2 a.m. or something, I believe. Yeah, it was early, early in the morning. I know that. Yeah. And you get a couple of interesting EVPs. The, this one I'm going to play right now. You ask a question and you seem to get an answer. So here it is. You like us being here? Yeah. Okay. Just after that, Jim Stonier said, I, I think you should check the light. And he seems to get an answer too. So here's, here's that one. I think you should check the light. <laughs> so what's interesting to me about those is that uh, in both cases, it sounds like a similar kind of rough male voice, like an older guy. And all of these EVPs, uh, you know, the three that I just, we've played, are very similar to the voice I heard in the lighthouse that said, uh, hello. So what do you think? Is Joshua Card still hanging around more than 100 years after his death? Do you have an opinion on that? I'd like to believe that he visits. I hopefully he doesn't have to stay there. But right. uh, the interesting thing about those two EVPs is that they were captured pretty close together. So, you know, if there was a presence, then, you know, you've got 
almost a conversation we we've asked a couple questions and uh we've gotten you know received a uh a couple of answers to it whereas you know a lot of times uh you go out for a whole night and you you really don't get anything you get one out of the whole night but here you have you know interaction on on two separate questions yeah yeah uh i want to move on to the other lighthouses but just i want to touch on fort constitution the old fort that's right next to portsmouth harbor lighthouse uh it was fort william and mary for a while before the revolution under the the english and then uh became uh, Fort Constitution in the early 1800s. And there's still some of the old 1808 walls there. And then there's Civil War era, 1860s granite walls. And uh, there was never really a battle there exactly, although there was a skirmish just before the revolution, but there was an explosion there, uh, 4th of July in 1809, that killed 10 people, including some children. Uh, worst thing that ever happened there. And a lot of people kind of connect the, the paranormal experiences people have with that. So um, I don't know if anything in particular uh, jumps to mind when you when you think of uh, when we've had in, investigations in the fort there. Yeah, that's that was really interesting. Uh, you know, we we're at the lighthouse. That's where we came for the lighthouse. But uh, there's so much uh, inf information from the fort too. Wow, the the person that was blown out. I mean, I, it goes all the way back to the first investigation when we were in the oil house and. Uh, Maureen picked up on uh, a, a soldier there that remember that he was disfigured and so forth. And yeah. then later you told us that one of the bodies was actually blown out that way uh, yeah. from that, that terrible explosion. And she picked up on a name, I believe too, uh, although it wasn't totally uh, accurate. It was uh, close to what uh, one of the persons was, correct? Yeah. Well, I think she said Daniel that first time, and it turned out we didn't have the names with us that first investigation, but later I got the names, and there was a private Pelatiah McDaniel was one of the ones who died, and I believe he was the one who was, who was actually blown over near the uh, the lighthouse, near the uh, where the oil house is now. So, so yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah. And, and it's, you know what's interesting, too, is that you're always researching, Jeremy. And it, when we first started doing this, we, we thought there were X number of deaths at the uh, the fort. And then you, you found a clipping about a uh, a woman is supposedly seen on the wall, but then she disappeared after the explosion. Uh, yeah. And, and the, the fort and the lighthouse is on the Coast Guard station. And they have reported seeing a woman on the, uh, the seawall and the wall of the fort. So, you know, is it that woman? I mean, we can't tell, of course, but I mean, I found that intriguing. And that was, you know, thanks to your research, we, we have some kind of a logic to it. Uh, why, why that woman is possibly there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, uh, hardly any of the accounts ever mentioned that woman, you know, when you read about that explosion. But there is one account that mentions a woman was standing on the wall just before the explosion. And after the explosion, all they found was a small piece of her clothing. <laughs> so um, it certainly seems like she she was one of the, the victims, one of the people who died. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, the Coast Guard uh, has reported a lot of things there <laughs> oh, yeah. over the years, including footsteps upstairs in the what used to be the keeper's house when nobody's there and uh, the woman walking on the wall, among other things. Um, the Coast Guards, you know, they're pretty brave people. They do search and rescue uh, from helicopters and all kinds of stuff. But uh, some of them have been afraid to go into the, the fort at night, which is yeah. pretty interesting. I mean, and you and I have done 
uh, haunted tours for, I, I can't even remember how many years, uh, Jeremy. A thousand. Yeah. <laughs> and we've raised, you know, it's a good thing because we've raised thousands of dollars for the lighthouse, which yeah. is really great. Uh, you know, everybody knows the lighthouse uh, are, are expensive to take care of. But even in our tours, we get people telling us stories. Remember the, the Coast Guard woman that was there? And yeah, totally- yeah, she had been stationed there years earlier. Like I think it was like in the '80s or something like that. Yeah, maybe you could uh, say something about that, especially one story uh, that she she told us. Well. Yeah, she, you know, we were talking about the the fort and how the Coast Guard, you know, you know, is a, I won't say afraid, but rather not going to the fort at night. And uh, she she said that uh, she's walked by it and, and sorry. The century in uh, colonial garb at at the fort one night. And is, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. And she said that she wasn't the only one around that time. I think she said she felt it was like Revolutionary War era clothing. So. Yeah. So, so there's so many stories associated with the lighthouse and the fort, that whole area, and it's always revealing new secrets. I think every time we we do something there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So we could we could talk about just that one place for for a lot longer. Oh, that's for sure. Maybe another time. But um, uh, let's talk about the other lighthouse investigations we've done. Or in the case of Wood Island Lighthouse in Maine, I wasn't actually there. You did a couple, at least a couple of investigations there. I went with you the first time you scouted the place out with a psychic named Vicky Monroe, and she felt there was a lot of activity there. Uh, but maybe you could talk a bit about uh, the interesting things that happened in your full investigations of Wood Island. I know there are a bunch of things. Yeah, there's a, a lot to do with Wood Island. Um, you know, the, the famous story, of course, is the uh, murder, murder, suicide. murder, suicide. Right. And, yeah. and do you want to, you know, give us the history on that? Sure. It, uh, the basics is, is that there was a. Well, first of all, Wood Island Lighthouse is in southern Maine off of uh, Bitterford, a part of Bitterford, the town of Bitterford called Bitterford Pool. And, uh, and it's not that far offshore, but it is an island. And uh, there was a guy, a fisherman who uh, rented uh, like huts, you know, small homes on the island at one time. And there, uh, other fishermen would rent them. There was this young guy renting one of the places. And one day he, uh, I believe it was with another, another one of the fishermen, two, two of them went to shore, got really drunk and they came back and there was an argument apparently over rent. The, the young guy, the fisherman owed the, the owner, the landowner um, rent and uh, a fight ensued. And he went and got his shotgun and brought it back and, and uh, killed the guy, shot the guy in the, in the chest. And uh, he died, the, uh, the fisherman who was renting these, these homes. Um, and the young guy who had, done, who had murdered the other guy, the young guy went to the lighthouse keeper's house and told the lighthouse keeper, who was Thomas Orchid at that time, but a famous bell ringing dog, just a side story there. Yeah. But uh, anyway, he went to Thomas Orchid and uh, told him what he had done. And Orchid said, you've got to turn yourself in. It's, the, you know, it's all you can do at this point. Uh, but the guy went back to his own little shack and killed himself, shot himself. Uh, and a lot of people connect the, the stories out there to that. Yeah, it's, it was intriguing uh, because, boy, the, first of all, you, you, it's an island. So you, they bring you in by a landing craft, basically, yeah. on one side of the island. And then we have to transverse the entire island on. There's a boardwalk that runs the entire length to the lighthouse keeper's house. And off 
about halfway uh, is uh, it's woods all along the way. But we, one night we were drawn uh, to an area and we went off and uh, into that area and we found, uh, you know, the, the ruins of some some uh, buildings that were there. And now if it was the cabin uh, where this happened, we're not sure. But it was, uh, you know, it was intriguing because no one knew about these these things that were were in the woods. Wasn't there something involving a piece of jewelry that involved Maureen? That was a really interesting. Story. Oh, that was yeah. yeah. Maureen, uh, the fir- this is the first investigation we did there. We we came by a hovercraft. I picked her up after work, and we uh, hovercraft. I keep calling it hovercraft. Uh, landing craft. And uh, when on the way over, she realized that she had her earrings on, and uh, these were ones her husband had just given her for her anniversary. So she was kind of uh, bummed about it uh, but she decided to keep them on so she wouldn't lose them and uh, during the night uh, we went out once uh, as I said onto the boardwalk and about halfway where there was all where we were uh, what I discussed earlier uh, Maureen started uh, trans channel again and then all of a sudden she started screaming and uh, going down on the boardwalk and like crawling away from someone like they were trying to kill them and uh, uh, that that ended, and you know, rest of rest of investigation happened, and so forth. But the next morning, she realized she had lost one of her earrings that night on the boardwalk. We went back and tried to find it. Of course, we couldn't find it. So she went home and she put the one earring into the jewelry box she had. And uh, the well, I guess a, maybe a few days had gone by, and she woke up one morning, went out, and there. Were, was an errand on top of the uh, jewelry box. She says, well, oh, geez, I don't remember taking that out. So she opened up the jewelry box and to, to put it in, and she realized the other earring was in there. So the earring that she had lost on the island had somehow reappeared on her jewelry box in Andover, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. You know, uh, I know you've had other similar experiences. It's almost like it's hard to say that it's a form of, uh, you know, spirits or haunting or whatever. It seems, right. uh, you know, I used to be into UFO stuff and they talk about episodes of high strangeness and that's kind of what it's like. It's like, yeah, there's often so many different kinds of phenomena attached with this. It's yeah, it is. I mean, and the Island has, you know, once again, lots of cigarettes. Uh, we did another investigation, a fundraiser for uh, Wood Island, a friends of Wood Island lighthouse. And uh, it was included a public ghost hunt at, at night, uh, they dropped us out on a Saturday and then they picked us up on Sunday morning. So we did the investigation on Saturday. I was in the keeper's house with uh, Sherry, who was one of the directors at that time. And uh, we were sitting in a, a room off the kitchen where uh, there was, at that time, was just a picnic table. And we're having our coffee on a Sunday morning in the daylight. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I looked at the kitchen and I saw a dog go by the door. Now, the odd thing about it is that the dog didn't make any noise at all you know how a dog is on a, an oleum floor you or a wood floor you hear that scratching sound there was no sound at all i jumped up and ran into the kitchen of course because i didn't know if any dogs here and there was no dog uh, the door was closed there was i looked all around i couldn't find any sign of a dog and so i came back to the uh the table and uh sherry says well would you see ron i says uh you know, I saw a dog, it walked across the thing. And she mm-hmm. says, can you describe him? 
And I said, yeah, I said, I mean, saw him as clear as I'm looking at you. And I described the dog and she just kind of smiled and shook her head. She says, well, you know, Ron, there used to be a, a dog here on the island. And then when it was time for its owner, the lighthouse keeper to be relieved, the dog wouldn't leave. So he stayed on the island and every lighthouse keeper afterwards took care of him until he died. Mm -hmm. And uh, she says that the dog you described certainly sounded like that dog. And so uh, she eventually, she showed me a picture later on and sure enough, it looked like the dog I saw. Now, could I tell you it was that dog? No, of course not. But, you know, I had no clue about who this dog was or, or what that dog was, but you know, that's what we discovered. Yeah. That's not that unusual, right? Uh, I, it seems like I've heard of at least one ghost cat at another lighthouse. Oh yeah. Yeah. This, yeah, we've run into, uh, in fact, Jim Stonier, my EVP guy now that uh, his first time he ever saw an apparition was in Gettysburg when we rented a house down there and uh, he saw a ghost cat. So mm -hmm. <laughs> another uh, interesting thing that happened on Wood Island uh, was after another investigation, actually, this was a, a private investigation because we were going to do a public investigation on a Saturday. So we came in early Friday night uh, and we did our own private investigation and uh, Sherry was with us that time. And at the end of the night, it was, you know, getting late and we decided to, you know, just uh, fool around with the thing called uh, a spirit uh, board and uh, spirit circle, I believe is the true name of it. And it's basically uh uh, like a Ouija board, but it does, it's a little bit different. Uh, so anyways, we were on this board and it was Sherry, myself, Leslie, and we were just, like I said, really just playing. And uh, all of a sudden we made contact with the spirit. Uh, they call themselves Scud. And he said he had uh, Spanish gold buried on the island. And we, we spent quite a bit of time trying to get the information where it was buried, because I'm sure what our lighthouse could use the money. <laughs> so uh, he kept giving us, you know, numbers <laughs> like coordinates or something, but they didn't make any sense to us at all. But anyway, so that was, you know, interesting. And uh, the uh, when we got back from the whole event and, and investigation, uh, Jim Stonier looked into the the name and he found out that there was actually a pirate by the name of uh, Scudmore. And mm -hmm. he was, in fact, uh, hung in Boston uh, for piracy. He was a doctor. And I found a uh, uh, newspaper clipping of Pitterford Pool, where the lighthouse is uh, located off of. And the, the title of the thing was Spanish Gold Found in Pitterford Pool. Mm -hmm. So we had a couple of, you know, I say validation of what, what came up on that little game that we were playing, basically. Yeah, cool. So uh, again, you know, I know with each of these, there's so much that could be talked about, but I, I want to talk about New London Ledge in Connecticut. Uh, it was 2006, I believe we did an investigation there. It wasn't that long after the, uh, the following year after the Portsmouth Harbor one, the first one there. Right. New London Ledge Lighthouse in Connecticut has probably the most famous New England Lighthouse ghost story, I would say. The story of Ernie. He was supposedly a keeper who jumped off the roof to his death after his wife ran away with a ferry captain. Uh, so I was there with you in New England Ghost Project. It was filmed for a TV show uh, on a series called American Builder. It's like a Halloween special. 
which so actually won a woman an emmy in uh 2007 a regional uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah cool it's the only only emmy uh you and i have won so far I think. <laughs> probably who won anymore either <laughs> right. so what was interesting about that night for you what they did is American Builder gave us one of their construction workers, Jimmy, to go along with it uh, on this investigation. And there's a lot that happens. So, so seeing Jimmy's, uh, I guess, reaction to the various parts of the investigation was interesting. But we, we got some interesting uh, things there. Uh, you know, Karen got a, uh, a great AVP that says, uh, help me, I'm cold, uh, by the stairs where supposedly um, – this was outside the stairs up to the late house platform, whatever it's on. What's it called that it's on, Jeremy? Do you know? uh, deck, I guess you call it, or the foundation. The foundation. Um, it's a big cement block, basically, right? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'll go ahead and play that EVP again. Uh, Karen Mossy got this uh, investigation in 2006, and it sounds like the voice is saying, help me, I'm cold. So here's, here's that one. <laughs> So that was pretty cool. And supposedly uh, they think it had something to do with a, a ship that was sunk there and they, some woman made it to the lighthouse. Uh, if that's the story I, I remember, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I know uh, there's a lot of talk of, that there was a sailboat wreck there at one yeah, point. Yeah, that's it. Like yeah. A whole family died or maybe a woman survived, but it's a little little sketchy. But that's Yeah, a little sketchy. Yeah. But uh you know the the other, I probably the most dramatic thing of the night, of course, was the seance that we held up on the top of the lighthouse. And uh, first we did a, a Ouija board, and it kept telling us, "You go, you go." And uh, Maureen says, "Well, they don't want us being here." And then something else came through, and sure so did. You want to take it from there? Well, sure. At the same time, right at the time you're talking about when Maureen seemed to start channeling, but right about the same time, the your base station where you had I think a couple of monitors, you had cameras in different places in the lighthouse, and I believe your son Ron Jr. was kind of monitoring that, if I remember right. Correct. Kind of went kaplooey at that point, like, uh, yeah. like there was all something static. interfering with it. It went all static, and which was really interesting because it happened right at the point that. Maureen, there seemed to be a you know a spirit that that uh, started speaking through Maureen, and uh, you know I have never seen anybody look like that before. She she gave it's in the TV show too. She gave you a look like uh, you know I, I I thought to myself that's not Maureen looking looking at you that way. It was like it's somebody else looking through her, and she she said you lie. To, yep. And uh, she shoved me into the candle. Yeah, good thing you didn't catch on fire or anything. But um, yeah, it, it again, it didn't last real long, but it was really intense. And there was more information that came through too, right? Yeah, well, yet later when we talked about it, uh, she said that this, she said there's a very angry male spirit here. And she said he's not a lighthouse keeper. She said uh, he was a construction worker. And uh, she believed that his coworkers locked him out on the roof the lighthouse, by the way, is a, as you know, Ron, is a like a keeper's house out there on this foundation out in the middle of the, the water uh, with a lantern on its roof. So it's not a separate lighthouse. It's all one building. Yep. And um, she said that the the, uh, the other workers locked him out on the roof and uh, he was trying to get back in and he slipped and fell to his death. So she said he's very angry because his death was covered up at the time. And I believe she also thought that, you know, 
everybody's got the story wrong. Everybody thinks it was a lighthouse keeper. So maybe he's angry about that. Yeah, I remember too. she screamed and held her head, remember? Yes, yes. So And she said that when he fell, he landed on his head. And that's yeah. why she was holding her head. Yeah. So yeah. it's an interesting alternate explanation for that, for that legend or that story, because there's no record at all of a keeper, lighthouse keeper named Ernie dying out there. There's no record of a suicide or death of any kind. And there's no record of a keeper named Ernie either. I think, I th to me, it's probably that people start experiencing weird things like the Coast Guard keepers there had odd things happen. They kind of made up a backstory to explain it, which I don't think had any basis in fact, but uh, Maureen's story is actually more believable. There's no, we don't have any proof that it happened, but it, to me, it's more believable. Yeah, it's, it was an interesting night. And uh, I, I have, do have to tell you one funny story. Uh, we, at that time, we had Ghost Chronicles Radio on WCCM. Jimmy and Brian Gurry came on the show and they started uh, talking about their experience there. And, and, you know, the farther you get away from an event, the more your, your mind goes logical on you and it kind of denies even the things that happen or tries to explain them away, even if the explanations aren't correct. And so they were kind of like, uh, you know, we're not sure what happened and like that. And all of a sudden uh, this foghorn it sounded like a foghorn went off during the radio station. Now we had no clue where that came from, but it, it's audibly heard on the thing. And uh, they said something like a uh, night nice special effects. Let's just, we didn't do that. <laughs> you know? And what had happened during that night, uh, we, let's, we dropped us off by boat so we couldn't go home. So we, we kind of camped out wherever we could. And then right. all of a sudden in the halfway through the night, the foghorn went off and it was so loud. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. And I remember when we woke up in the morning, it was so foggy. You couldn't see anything at all. Yeah. yeah we went back in the fog. So that was a strange little thing that happened. Yeah, I'm not sure if you told me that part before. That's pretty. Oh, really? There's there's another part too. When uh, uh, Mark Apocalypse, uh, who was the director of the show, was doing the editing on it, the entire building lost its power <laughs> when it huh. got to the part where Maureen started channeling. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah, just like what happened at the lighthouse, where the equipment yeah. failed at that moment. Yeah, right? it was it was strange. Yeah. So another investigation we did together is Rose Island in Newport, Rhode Island. And that's oh, another, that's yes. a, it's a great place. I love that place. They have overnight stays there for the public. And it's another place where it's a keeper's house with the lantern kind of mounted on top. Um, they've done a lot of restoration there. It's a great, really, really good organization. And that was a super interesting investigation there, especially a couple of parts of it. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you were there and the director at the time, I think it was uh, Dave McCurdy. We did a lot of investigating during the night and of the lighthouse and the, the island it's on and so forth. But at the end of the night, there was a, a room downstairs where some people have taken uh, pictures and they saw strange images and of what they believed was uh, the, the ghost of uh, one of the lighthouse keepers in the, in the photograph. And so we decided to do table tipping there. Now table tipping is basically goes back to the spiritualist days and you do is you take a small table, like a candle table, and you sit around and put your hands on the top and you ask questions and the table moves. Now, uh, you and I and uh, Dave decided to do it. And we, you know, this is, I had done it, uh, I think twice before. You had never done it before at all. And mm -hmm. Dave had never done it before. So the table started like moving all over the place. Do you remember that? Sure did. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it very well. 
Was it, yeah, Watch little, that, Jeremy. <laughs> well, little light wooden table, and it's it was like it was dancing. It was, and it, at one point it seemed like it was, you know, it was rocking back and forth, and then it seemed like it was going in a circle, and it kind of came towards me and actually pressed against my chest, not like it was hurting me or anything. Right. And I said, "Please don't hurt me." And of course, <laughs> I was kidding. I was just joking. Yeah, but you yeah, never yeah. let me let me never let me live that down. We we're uh, gonna get T-shirts made. <laughs> please don't hurt me, right? Please don't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. You know, I wasn't exactly scared, but still, I mean, again, I had never experienced anything like that before. Right. And it's, it's crazy. It was, and, and the interesting thing about it, Jeremy, was, you know, you had never did table tipping before. Dave had never done it. And I've done it a couple of times. So I was the only one that had any experience at all. So uh, to me, that, you know, I found that intriguing. But still, it's a small table. Right. right? It's a small But then table. there's more. Yeah. Oh, yes. So I don't even know who came up with the idea. But uh, my wife and I were staying up in the uh, keeper's house uh, and in the kitchen up there is this big oak double pedestal table. And I mean, heavy table. Yeah. And uh, we decided to do table tipping with this. Now, that seems, uh, you know, insane that we could uh, get this big table to move. But we decided to try it. And uh it took us a while, but the table uh, started, uh, you know, getting moving a little bit like a little thing. And then all of a sudden that we had that thing rocking and rolling. Sure and did. then at the very end of it, uh, we said, can, can you sh we're going to say goodbye. Can you sh show us? Can you make it jump up? And that's exactly what it did. It rose off yep. the ground and slammed itself down and it stopped totally. Yeah. And we all applauded. It was, yeah, it was we did. Incredible. We did. It's one of those I things mean, I would never believe it if I wasn't there. I, you know, me too, because you and I went back another time and we tried to reproduce it by fakery, you know, while it was actually trying to move the table to see if we could do it. And yeah. we couldn't, we couldn't it get really it. really heavy. Yeah, it was just solid. I remember at the end of that, uh, the, when the table went thud on the floor, we checked that like the joints of the table were very loose. Yeah. Whereas at the start, they, everything was really tight. And then, you know, so it seemed really loose and kind of jiggly like. And yep. then a while later, we checked it again, and everything was tightened up again. Yeah, that was that was an interesting. I still can't explain that one. To me, that was one of my most profound experiences, uh, only because of the the size of that table and and the the people aboard were were just you know some, most of them had never done table tipping before in their lives, and right. uh, you and uh, Dave had what one experience downstairs, and that was it, maybe maybe three times for me. So. Yeah. To have that type of activity is simply amazing. Uh, yeah, I remember so clearly when we had all, you know, and there were how many of us at the table? Six, I think. I think or, there was six, yep. Six or yeah. seven. We have our fingers on the table lightly. Mm -hmm. And at first it felt like a vibration I could feel, like a fine vibration. Right. And then it got more and more, you know, pronounced. And I kept looking to see if any is anybody or anybody's legs moving the table or somebody doing something to It'd move be it. strong and, legs. I'll tell you that much. Yes, I know. But there was definitely nobody doing anything like that. Uh, yeah, we had put a camera on the table, so we, we recorded it, which was good, too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A little dark, but you can see it very, very yeah. plainly. So, um, again, uh, I, you know, we got to we got to move along. There's so much to talk about. But another one we did was Goat Island in Kenny Bunkport, Maine. Cape Porpoise. Yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful place. And yeah. uh, the group there has done an amazing job. They reconstructed a covered walkway between the house and the lighthouse tower, and they reconstructed yeah. a fog bell tower. It's really, really a great place. 
And a lot of the supposed activity there seems to be related to Dick Curtis. He was a caretaker and lobsterman who drowned there near the island in 2002. We spent the whole night there. Uh, we were the guests of the caretaker, Scott Dombrowski, who grew up with Dick Curtis, the one who drowned. Yeah. Uh, and I remember shortly after his friend drowned, I was there with Scott, just my, you know, visiting myself. And we were standing at the top of the lighthouse and Scott said to me, you know, Dick and I used to say to each other, after we die, we're going to haunt this place. <laughs> so, and Scott has had so many experiences. Uh, we were with Leslie Marden that night. So Leslie picked up a pair of binoculars off the table there and she was kind of clutching him and she saying, was saying, these belong to somebody really important here. And she described, she didn't know anything about the place going in. And she described Dick Curtis physically as a tall man with a mustache and stuff. She described him perfectly. So that was super interesting. And at one point, we're upstairs in one of the bedrooms in the house. Scott was with us, Scott, the caretaker who grew up again with Dick Curtis. And all of a sudden, Leslie, she hadn't come up with a name before that. And all of a sudden, she turned to Scott and said something like, oh, we're, we're talking about your friend Dickie, aren't we? And, uh, you know, most people didn't know him as Dickie, but um, that's, you know, Dick, Dick Curtis. And Scott was pretty amazed that she came up with that. So uh, it was a beautiful place, too. It was neat being there. Uh, it's always great being at these places at, at sunset and sunrise when you're doing an investigation. That was... what, what, to me, one of the most interesting thing, and it's kind of silly, but uh, we were down in the kitchen and we decided to do some glass swirling, which if you don't know, is you take a glass, you turn it upside down on the table, put your finger on it and you ask questions, the glass moves for yes and stops for no. So we were asking, doing that, asking yes and no questions. And then through the glass, it said it, uh, it wanted us to do the Ouija board. And uh, we said, oh, we're sorry, we didn't bring a Ouija board. And then all of a sudden it shot off to the side uh, <laughs> to where the closet was. Yeah. So we, we went out, we opened up the closet and there was a Ouija board. Yeah. So uh, you and Leslie sat down and did the Ouija board and yeah. something funny happened, I think. Well, a couple of things. That wasn't the Ouija board saying to you, you're going to die. Or well, something that, I was going to get to that because you were on it first. Oh, OK. Yeah. Um, it said to me, it said that it was somebody, I think it said T-R-U-D, like Trude was talking to me and said that she knew me in college or something like that. Yeah. I started my college uh, time at Colgate University in upstate New York, and there was a woman named Trudy who worked in the, I worked in the cafeteria, and there was a Trudy there, but I think on the Ouija board, she said she was a a teacher there, so that sort of made sense and sort of not, but then there was some other interesting stuff. Yeah, so you 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 and Leslie were doing it for quite a while, and then uh, it it called for me to go on the Ouija board, and I didn't want it, because I know it's going to be the same old thing again with me, so... uh, I said, I don't want it. I says, well, it keeps calling for you. Leslie said, it keeps calling for you. I said, all right, I'll go on, but I know what it's all about. So I get on there and it, through the board, once again, it, it, it said, you die. And uh, we said, who? And then it spelt my name out, R-O-N. And, uh, and I said, when? And it spelt tonight. So yeah, that that's what came through that I was supposed to die that night. Of course, I didn't. At least I don't think I did anyways. Am I a ghost, Liz? Uh, Jeremy? I'm not sure. Uh, I can't answer that. I don't know. <laughs> it might be, might be like the Bruce Willis of like, uh, you know, I the Bruce Willis movie people. where it turns out he's, he's really Six dead. Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. Yes. Thank yep. you. Yeah. Yeah. And another interesting thing with the Ouija board that night was that um, when Scott Dombrowski, the caretaker there, was was on the Ouija board, 
it was telling him not, he was supposed to go to Boston like the next day or two days later or something. And it was yep. telling him not to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I, I had to refresh my memory looking at my notes here, but the Ouija board said, note EJ. And later we found out that the weatherman on the Portland Maine TV station was named EJ. Huh. Uh, so um, it was telling him not to go to Boston. And I think he, I think he did cancel his trip to Boston. So We'll never know. Yeah, he was impressed with that whole evening. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have to admit, though, after we all slept upstairs in, in uh, the, like this big room, and uh, during the middle of the night, there was some sounds downstairs, and I was going to go down and check out, but then for some reason, I'm going to say I was tired. I decided <laughs> not to. <laughs> did you say, please don't hurt me? <laughs> no. Okay, you did. <laughs> but you pulled your covers up over your head and said, please don't hurt me. That was probably it. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I steal your line. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I should uh, copyright the trademark. That's right. So we also did uh, Borden Flats Lighthouse in Fall River, Massachusetts, which is like a spark plug light way out in the water at the mouth mm-hmm. of the Taunton River. And uh, our friend Nick Korstad owned it at the time and it opened it up for overnight stays and he invited us there. So that was that was pretty cool. You got to pull a boat up and climb up a ladder on the side of it to get in there. Yeah, uh, horrible because Leslie was scared of heights and yeah. Karen was scared of heights. It was like I got to deal with both of them trying to climb up that thing. This is another Karen, not the one we were talking about before. No, Karen, yeah, Rock, Karen, I believe Karen Rock, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was another interesting night. Uh, what do you especially remember about that one? You, you got to think it's weird, but uh, you know, I don't. Uh, like heights, you know, I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not excited to be at the top of a place, but I'm not scared of heights. Uh, you know, as you know, I go up in the lighthouse and so forth. But uh, we went that night and I went on the deck with uh, the outside deck of the lighthouse with Leslie. Now, Leslie is petrified of heights. So I don't know what came over me. All of a sudden, I was scared of heights. I was like, hugging the wall and i have no clue i must have you know been sympathetic to uh leslie because i was actually scared of heights at that time and it's not that big of a lighthouse you know portsmouth top is a lot bigger i think isn't it it's taller yeah 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 so i mean that to me was that was uh strange uh i I never had that feeling before or again but uh, Yeah. yeah it was actually scared of heights at that night and i think that was because i picked up on leslie yeah leslie's fears well it was interesting that uh both leslie martin and karen rock who was part of that investigation karen i think doesn't claim to be psychic but seems to be sensitive to things right um both of them uh, we had them draw their impressions and they both drew a face of a man with a mustache and later, you know, other stuff came out that were seen. And Nick already believed this, that the main person who kind of, uh, I, don't, I don't like to use the word haunts, but the spirit that's <laughs> either. Visits. Uh, what's that? Visits. Visits, yeah. Um, was a, one of the keepers of the lighthouse named John Paul from the early 1900s. And yes. he had a mustache. And the, but the pictures that both Leslie and Karen drew looked, you know, kind of quite a bit like him. So I know there was a point where you and a couple of the others thought you heard something up in the lantern. You went up to investigate. And while you were there, Nick, the owner, and I were sitting in the watch room in the dark. And we had 
do you call that a spirit box? The thing that the China goes through all the radio cycles through the radio station. Yes, hack shack or spirit hack box. Shack, hack they shack. All, spirit box is a general name for anything talking device. Yeah. And the idea is that you'll get little snippets of stuff from radio stations. And sometimes it's like, it's telling you something or answering your questions or whatever. So we're just sitting there and it's, it's cycling through the, the stations and you weren't hearing anything very distinct, but suddenly the one thing that was distinct was a man's voice saying, protect your home. And just about the same time he said that there was like a, I swear a light kind of shot across the floor, like from the oh, opposite wow. wall. Nick and I both saw it and we couldn't figure out where it was coming from. None of us had touched a light. There was no light doing that from upstairs. So that was really interesting. And the way it, uh, you know, seemed, happened right at the same time, the voice said, protect your home. So hmm. I'm not quite sure what that was all about, but it was. And I remember too, that we, uh, Leslie, I believe was picking up on a name of, and, and I'm trying to think where it was in the lighthouse. I believe it was on towards the bottom and uh, she came up with a name that made sense. Right. It was Jean-Paul. And she, but she yeah. said, she's saying, I think it's like the French name, Jean-Paul. She kept mm. saying like that. Yeah. And, but as soon as she said that, I said, you know, there was a keeper named Jean-Paul. Yeah. And again, you know, she, I don't think she had, she only had a really vague idea where we were going that night. And there's no way she had done any research or anything. No, they never knew. I never tell anybody where we're going. And yeah. I always tell, keep as little information about the place as my, as I can. Um, right. When I, when I do a regular investigation, for instance, when we, when we go into a place and everybody wants to tell me all about it, I says, well, I, I really, especially when I get there, I says, you know, I, I want to know where activity is taking place so that I can put my resources there, but I don't want to know till the end of the night uh, what, what you experienced there. So that way I'm not looking for something that, you know, having my mind, play tricks on me other words otherwise trying to validate something that's there at the end of the night we collect our evidence and then we hear their stories and if there's a correlation between the two it you know that's great mm -hmm. there's a lot more we can talk about you and i did a uh, a haunted uh, bus tour haunted lighthouse bus oh, tour yes. together. that was yeah. fun with david wells from the tv show most haunted uh let's just uh, briefly say a little bit about that you to me one of the most interesting parts of that day was a portland headlight in maine do you remember what happened there in the museum? That's uh, when Maureen uh, made contact with uh, somebody and also, I forget who it was, and uh, my EMF meter was blazing and the picture of the person that she was making contact was right on next the wall. Yeah, yeah, right next to the wall. Yeah, it would have been uh, Joseph Strout. His father was keeper for over 30 years before him and then Joseph Strout yeah. was keeper for like 25 years. And yeah, there's a huge picture of them there on the wall in the museum and the keeper's house there. And everybody else was already in the bus. And I went in to tell you and Maureen that we've got to leave. But Maureen at that point was like really emotional because she was mm -hmm. saying that this, she kept hearing this guy repeating, I gave my life to the light. I gave my life to the light. And then she started feeling chest pain, if you remember, because yep. he said this guy had heart trouble and she was like clutching her chest and saying, I feel pain. The woman working in the in the museum at the counter there yelled over to us, I'm going to call 911. We'd say, no, 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 it's okay. Everything's okay. Um, but we don't know for sure if she was talking about Joseph Strout, but it sure seems like she was. Right. I mean, there's there's so many stories and so many things we could get into. And, and maybe in another time, we can we can go back and, and look at some of the other things that we've done together. And who knows, after that, maybe we've, we'll do some more. Yeah, well, there's a lot of lighthouses out there. And it seems like, 
you know, lighthouses seems to seem to lend themselves to this. It seems like if you dig into almost any other any lighthouse, you're going to find at least one ghost story, sometimes more uh, connected to them. Do you have any thoughts about that as to why lighthouses seem to have a lot of those stories? Or do you feel that every place has these stories? If you start well, every places have stories, but the, the interesting thing about the lighthouse is because it's so close to the water. You know, it's believed that the water traps the soul of people. I don't know if you're aware of that, but uh, uh, for instance, in uh, most of your small towns where they have like uh, streams or rivers that cross the town, you'll have, you know, like Concord, for instance, they have a, a north and south uh, cemeteries. And the reason was that, you know, they didn't really need all those cemeteries, but you weren't supposed to take uh, the this body of a deceased over a running water because if it do, the, the soul of that person gets trapped in the water. And so that's why they, you know, so you don't have to cross over the, the, the stream. You bury them on this side if it happened on this side, and you bury them on the other side if it happened on the other side. So, yeah, there's there's a, a lot of other things about water trapping souls and, and so forth. So maybe it has something to do with that. And, and of course, the sea is is great amount of energy for spirits to work with if if they use energy to do what they do. So right. yeah, those those are all thoughts on it. Yeah, I've also heard stuff about how water can serve as a maybe maybe this is just a theory, but it serves as sort of a recording medium, like uh, yeah. images or you know get sort of recorded and played back uh, around the ocean and stuff like that. But yeah, there was a Japanese scientist who did a lot of research on emotions in water as well, and where the water would react to certain emotions. And hmm. so there's a lot about our planet and about our world that we don't know. So I definitely agree with that. So uh, you do a few radio shows under the heading of Ghost Chronicles. Uh, how can our listeners find out more? Uh, how can they listen to those? Where's their information? Sure. Uh, I actually do four radio shows now. I do Ghost Chronicles, Ghost Chronicles International, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition, and my newest endeavor, The Affection Connection. So, <laughs> The Affection Connection? I want to know more about that. Uh, the Affection Connection, that's a, a brand new one. We just started to do it. We do it once a month, every uh, first Wednesday at 1130. It's, you can watch it, actually. Uh, there's a page on Facebook where you can catch it, and it's, it's on a bunch of radio stations as well. It's myself, my darling wife, and uh, Lou Blasey from the radio station. We answer your relationship questions. So nothing mm -hmm. paranormal, but it's wow. out there. Yeah. Cool. And, I'll check that out. And uh, yeah, so if you want to look and, and find out more about us, go to nyghostproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. Or you can always friend me on Facebook at Ronald Kolick on mm -hmm. Facebook, Ronald, R-O-N-A-L-D, Kolick, K-O-L-E-K. And uh, you'll find out more than you ever want to know. <laughs> and also you mentioned earlier your books. You've written three books with Maureen Wood. What are the titles and how can people find those? Uh, Ghost Chronicles, more Ghost Chronicles, and Ghost of Day. And those are available through Amazon or, or bookstores or basically anywhere that uh, sells books. Yeah. If I remember right, Ghost Chronicles, the first one has the new London Ledge Lighthouse chapter. And Ghost, uh, the second Ghost Chronicles book has the Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse investigation. In it. That's true. And uh, yep. So uh, you got involved with lighthouse preservation after your early lighthouse investigations. You served. Uh, Thanks to you. 
Yeah, <laughs> served as chairman of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses for a while. You were responsible for some restoration projects mm-hmm. and you're still in the leadership committee. Well, why do you think it's important to preserve lighthouses? Because it's history. Without our history, we're doomed for uh, to repeat it. And not only that, history is such an important part of our lives. We, we learn about, you know, lighthouses, for instance, that we learn about what it was like to live in those days, what they had to contend with. Uh, there wasn't no GPS, there wasn't anything. We just had these beacons that were saved us from crashing into the rocks or going on a, a reef. So it's important to understand and also to understand what the, the people that took care of these lights went through. So that's all important. History is so important to us and, and nowadays it seems to be lost to us in so many ways. So preserving them is, is really important because we're never gonna get them back if, if we let them go. I couldn't agree more. I have one more question for you for bonus points. Okay. Oh, bonus points, I love bonus points. Yeah. What do you enjoy most about investigating the paranormal? The mystery. I love trying to solve mysteries. You know, I, I love detective movies on TV and whodunits and uh, that's what the paranormal is. It, and, and it's a blend of the, the history as well as the mystery. So history and mystery, you can't beat it. Uh, so Ron, this is a lot of fun. You know, I've been on your radio shows a number of times over the years. It's kind of fun to turn the tables and interview you for a change. And, you know, there's, again, there's no end to uh, just any one of these lighthouse investigations had so so many uh, facets to it, so many interesting incidents. You know, one thing, one thing I do want to say, Jeremy, is that I love working with you because you are a detailed man and you get all your facts right. You, you, you're concise. You, you, you know what you're talking about. Whereas I, I know a lot of things, but I'm not very detail oriented. Uh, I, I have the information. I can go and look it up if I want to find out more about it. But because I do so much, it's more general than uh, the details. So it, it's it's a pleasure working with you because you have all that detailed information and I don't have to look it up. Well, thank you. There's a lot of stuff in my head. <laughs> I've been told I'm full of it, but um <laughs> Uh, you know, thank you for that. Uh, you know, I, I, none of us are getting any younger and I find myself forgetting dates and stuff, but, you know, Einstein once said something about how, you know, why remember everything when you can look it up? Einstein actually said that. So did he really, hmm. he did something I'm paraphrasing something, something along those lines, but, right. uh, you know, uh, not, as long as you know where to find the information, there's nothing wrong with that. So thank you so much, Ron. Uh, we've had a lot of fun over the years in these investigations, and hopefully we can do... We have to do another one. We, we, we haven't gone out for a long time. No, no. We, uh, we, let's discuss that. There's, uh, there's a lot of places waiting to be investigated, a lot of yeah. lighthouses. So I'm sure we can figure something. As long as people take care of them, there'll be lighthouses to investigate. Right. Well, that's a good, good place to end <laughs> this interview. So uh, again, thank you so much. It's a lot of fun and happy Halloween, Ron. Happy uh, Thanksgiving to you. To learn more about Ron Kolick and New England Ghost Project, as well as Ron's radio shows, check out neghostproject.com. The books Ron has co-authored with Maureen Wood, Ghost Chronicles, More Ghost Chronicles, and A Ghost a Day are available from Amazon and other booksellers. 
Ron and I have had lots of interesting times together on investigations at lighthouses, and it was a lot of fun reminiscing about them in this interview. As we both said in the interview, even if you don't believe in the paranormal at all, it's pretty amazing to be at a lighthouse at night. Have you been able to do that, Sarah? I have. I've actually been in the Barnegat Lighthouse at night for one of their moonlight climbs. Um, I think it might be moonlight or midnight climbs, um, which is pretty amazing and a, and a whole different perspective on everything when you can see the view at night. So do you have any plans for Halloween, Jeremy? I don't really have any plans other than maybe eating some candy, maybe sharing some with our six-year-old neighbor across the street, and uh, preparing to leave for Savannah, Georgia, early the next day. Thanks again to our guest, Ron Kolick, and thanks to all the members, volunteers, and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society at the headquarters of the Point No Point Light Station in Washington and all around the world. Go to uslhs.org to learn more about memberships, the passport program, tours, and all the other things the Society offers. The author Stephen King once said, quote, We need ghost stories because we, in fact, are the ghosts, unquote. Next week's episode will feature an interview with Nat Lyon, curator for the Marshall Point Lighthouse and Museum in Maine. As always, thanks for listening and keep a good light. Out in the dark, I'm gonna let it shine. Out in the dark, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine This little light